0: Right. have you guys ever been on a, uh, y- y- y drive, driving somewhere, and maybe you did this over the holidays because this is the kind of trip that I mean. Uh, you're on a trip uh, going somewhere that's decently far away, um, and you like think you've been there enough times, you don't go there all the time, but you've been there enough that you think you know the way, and you're like, and you're pretty sure, like I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get there without plugging it into my phone or anything, and you're like on your way there, And then you hit a part that's probably like, you're three quarters of the way there or so. And you're like, I don't recognize any of this. I don't know where I'm at. I don't remember this part. Was that mountain there? I don't remember that exit. Like, I don't remember any of this part here. And then all of a sudden, like, you were going the right way the whole time. you like, you get to the end and you remember again. Like, oh, yeah, I recognize this. I remember we turn here. Like, you get it. You know what I'm talking about? Does everybody else have that experience? You know what I mean? That, that like the part that you kind of the middle bit, you kind of forget. You remember the first part and you remember the end, but the middle bit, you're like, I don't remember doing any of this before. That's where we're at in Exodus right now. <laughs> okay, um, we're we're diving back into Exodus and we're in Exodus chapter six, um, and and really there's like a lot in here. These last couple these last couple uh, messages that that you're going to kind of be like, I don't remember this at all. Like, it, that you forget, that because I think a lot of it has to do with Sunday school, because Sunday school, they have to just do the exciting parts, right? So if, when you study Moses uh, in Sunday school, you get burning bush, and then plagues, right? You go right there. There's a long drive between those things, and that's what we're in the middle of right now. So if you remember from where where we've been, um, uh, if we go go back to, uh, you know, we had Moses' birth, and then he flees to Midian, uh, and he's there for 40 years as a a sheep herder, and then God calls him at the burning bush, um, and and then he finally agrees. It's a long conversation, very long conversation that he has with him, much longer than, again, than you remember. If you've read this story before, you think, oh yeah, he talks to God at the burning burst. God's like, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he goes, nope, it's a long conversation. Um, and, and then after he goes, he finally goes, he's on his way. God tries to kill him briefly. If you didn't listen to that one, go back and listen to that on the podcast. Uh, but God cr- tries to kill him for a second. And, and then he, uh, he finally gets there and he's, uh, he, he finally meets up with Aaron and then he goes to the elders and talks to them and they're all excited and the people worship and they're excited to hear what God is going to do. And then he goes and makes his, la- his uh, request to Pharaoh. That's the last time <coughs> we saw he went and made his first request to Pharaoh that, uh, that, he, that he be allowed to take the people and go into the wilderness to worship Yahweh. And Pharaoh's response is very, he just dismisses him out of hand. Who is Yahweh? I've never heard of him before. Um, and then he makes the work harder for the Israelites. He makes them make bricks, and he doesn't supply them with straw. And so they have to go and find it as well as meet their daily quota. They can't do it. They're angry with Moses and Aaron because they th- said, God's not delivering us. He's just making things worse. And at the end of chapter 5, if we want to go to that, the end of chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, it says this, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is discouraged. He's like, this is not going the way I thought it would at all. It's terrible. Why did you ever send me? And so now we pick up in chapter six, God's going to respond. So this is God's response to what Moses just said to him about why did you ever send me? This is going terribly. Picking up, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. You shall see. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Again, I am Yahweh. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people, out, people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so what do we see in this passage? We see that God allowed Pharaoh to make a choice to rebel against him, right? He says... Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. He gave him a chance. He's like, I'm going to let him talk to me. I'm, I'm going to give him the, the option. I'm going to have Moses go talk to him, tell him the request. And now Pharaoh has rebelled. Right? He says, and so he says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you're going to see what's going to happen to Pharaoh since he didn't submit. He says, since he didn't willingly submit, I will make him submit. Right, I will make him submit. And he says, even, Yahweh will bring Pharaoh to the point that Pharaoh will drive the people out of the land. Right? He's saying, not only is he going to let you go, he's going to push you out. Right, he's going to be like, I'm get you guys out of here. Not just let you go, force you out, push them out, drive them out of the land. What God's saying here is there's not a choice about whether or not Pharaoh is going to submit to me. He had the chance to submit willingly. And if he doesn't submit willingly, he's going to submit in the end by force. By what I'm going to do to him. And the same is true for us. The same is true for everybody. In the end, every knee will bow. Whether we bow willingly ahead of time or when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow one way or another. And so God God tells Moses that this is going to happen. And And then God reminds Moses of exactly who he is. Right, he wants Moses to know exactly who he is. He said, I am the God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Right? He says, I never told them my name. Yow, the, the name Yahweh is in Genesis, but only in retrospect. Right? It's not, it's not what they knew him as. It's only here to Moses that he actually revealed his name. He's still letting Moses know, this is special. What I'm doing is special with you. This is unique. This is the first time that I've told the people who I am. I didn't tell Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they only knew me as God Almighty. And he said he had had made a covenant with the patriarchs to give them the promised land. He's letting Moses know that's not void. That's not over with, right? Because it's been a long time. It's been a long time since Jacob's death. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. And so they're a good question of, are we actually going to get the land? Like, we're not even there anymore. Is this happening at all? And he says, I have heard their groaning. I've not forgotten my covenant. I've not forgotten them. I've heard their groaning. I am going to respond. This is who I am. And so then he says, here's my message to the Israelites. Here's what I want to tell the people. right?" And he bookends it with this phrase, I am Yahweh. Right. This is in verse 6. He says, say to the people of Israel, first off, I am Yahweh. And then he tells them essentially three things. First, he tells them, I'm going to rescue them from slavery. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to pull them out of Israel, uh, out, of, out of Egypt and rescue them from slavery. So I'm going to rescue them. Secondly, I'm going to take them to be my people. I will be their God. Right? He's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to take them as my own. I'm going to adopt them as my people. This, is, this rescue and subsequent adoption is going to define God's relationship with the Israelites. And he says that they will know for certain that God is the one that rescued them, that Yahweh is the one that rescued them. There's not going to be any question about whether or not they could have gotten away apart from Yahweh's divine intervention. It's going to define their relationship. And then lastly, he says, I'm going to bring them into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. they will have a future. They're going to have a place in the world that's theirs. And then he says again, at the end of that, I am Yahweh, right? So he's letting them know, like, here's who I am. And this is the promise I'm making them. I'm going to set them free from slavery. I'm going to take them as my own people. They're going to be for sure my people. They're going to know that they're my people. They're going to know that I rescued them. And then lastly, that I'm gonna give them a future. I'm gonna give them the land that I promised to their forefathers. This is his message to the Israelites. And really, what we see here is a model of salvation. We see a model of, of salvation for today, the model of the way that the same thing he does with us, the same thing God has worked, this is the way that he works. We see it in three components in this. First, we see redemption, where that God has redeemed his people, set us free. By sending Jesus to die on the cross, paying for our sin, He sets us free from our slavery to sin. Right? He sets us free from the same kind of burden that they were, the Egyptians were under. We're under a spiritual burden, slavery to sin, and He's going to redeem us. That's redemption. That's phase. But that's just step one. And step two is adoption. Right? God adopts those who have chosen to give their lives to Jesus. We see both of these things, um, both of these concepts of redemption and adoption. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, it says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. So here directly, we see Paul laying this out and saying, you were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. You were enslaved to sin. But God has set us free and adopted us. Right. So it's not just that he's a slave set free, but he is a slave turned into a son. And that is true for us. If you've accepted that as your own, if you've accepted that redemption, accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers on the cross, you are redeemed and God has adopted you as a son or daughter. <coughs> but then lastly, he gives us a destination. right? So we have redemption, we have adoption, now we have destination. He gives us something in the future to look to. He doesn't simply leave us, he doesn't simply free us He gives us a destiny. This meaning, He allows us to partner with Him in the work of the kingdom. Where He gives us assignments, He gives us something to do, He gives us a future. It's not just, hey, you're free, now try to be good. Which is oftentimes, that's, I mean, that sounds like I'm joking, but that's oftentimes how it's it's boiled down. That's the message that a lot of people seem to get from from the gospel is like, hey, God set you free, now. Now, try not to mess it up, right? Just try to be good, try as hard as you can, and you're gonna need forgiveness from time to time, but like, try to be as good as you can. That's oftentimes the message we get, but it's more than that. It's not just, hey, try not to cause any problems. It's, I've got stuff for you to do. I've got kingdom work for you to do. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10 tells us this. says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I so think He's given you things. He's given you a future. He's given you somewhere to go, something to do. He wants to use you for His kingdom. So He has redeemed us. We've got redemption. We've got adoption, and we have been destined. Right? We've been redeemed adopted and destined that's the model that we see here in in exodus exodus is a model of the way <coughs> that god works in our lives right the way that god works with the israelites freeing them from egypt is a model for the work that jesus does on the cross for us we can see this here and it's it, it's, it's true for them as it was for us But the people don't listen to his message, right? That's an interesting thing in this passage. They just don't listen to him because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Right? He says that they, he goes and tells them this, tells them this message, this beautiful message of what God's going to do for them. And it says they just don't believe it because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And again, I think that's true in our lives as well. Right, that oftentimes we hear that, we hear that what God is, wants to do for us. You maybe, maybe you've heard the gospel before, and, and you go, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can feel because I'm just so broken. I feel so enslaved to sin. I don't feel like I can get set free. I don't feel like I can do it. I don't think I can get free from this. I'm too in it's too much entangled in my life. But what you see here is that God's going to do it anyway. Right? They, they're, they don't even believe that God's going to rescue them. And God's going to do it anyway. <coughs> and the same is true for us. We're helpless to rescue ourselves or even to respond to God's call. Right? We're, we're helpless to respond. We're helpless to do this. That's why that Ephesians verse says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." If you think you can't do it, You're right. Right? You think you can't do it? You're right. It's about what he does, not about what we do. And so Moses, Moses is given this message, and he's certain that Pharaoh won't listen to him. Right? Just as the people of Israel haven't listened to him, they're mad at him now, he's like, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me anyway. Who Who am I? Right? Who am I that he would listen to me? God gives him this charge, but he's like, who, who is he anyway? And, and that question that we're kind of left with, who is Mer- Moses, who is Aaron, who are these dudes, is the reason that we're going to get a surprise genealogy in the middle of this. <laughs> you're sure hoping for. Uh, clans, verses 14 through 25. <coughs> All right. Anyone want volunteers to read this for me? (laughs) These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimai, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the s- years of life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife, Hokabed his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zichri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphat, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashron. And she bore Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Athamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. <coughs> These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' house, houses of the Levites by their clans. Okay. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. I stumbled because I started thinking about it too much. If you're going to read that, don't think about it. Just read it. Whatever comes to your mind, just say it. And say it confidently. If you start to stumble, it throws the whole thing off. That's why that wasn't great. Okay. So this is a partial genealogy, right? This is a partial... Genealogy—it's not a complete one. You got only the first three sons of Jacob mentioned at all. Reuben, the firstborn, gets only one verse. Simeon gets one verse, and then we get to Levi. And it's really the point—is he's trying to get to the Levites and really talk about their main players, right? And 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 really to get to the point of these first three—they're the original the original forefathers of the clan, right? Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. They're screw-ups, right? They had lost their birthright. They're the first three sons of Jacob, and yet the, the, this, the, um, the Messiah is still going to come through Judah, the fourthborn, because these guys had messed it up. Reuben had, uh, had messed up through incest, and, and Simeon and Levi, if you remember, they committed genocide. And so these guys have lost their birthright this is just these three that we're focusing on, and really the first two is just to get to Levi, where he just wants to clear up, like, here are these guys, and now we get to Levi, and here's his deal, uh, because this it, is not an exhaustive genealogy, right, it's just getting to the heads of the clans, who are these significant players, it's more focused on naming notable descendants than every descendant, right, it's just trying to get to the notable descendants, um, and it's also establishing characters who are going to play a major role moving forward, right? So it's highlighting these certain people. And, and the question is, like, why now? And it's to answer this question of, who is Moses? Who is he? Who is Moses? Who is Aaron? Um, and so we get this genealogy to, one, establish Moses and Aaron as Levites, right? As And Israelites, as legitimate Israelites, legitimate Levites, this is their place. They have a clan. Here are who they were. They're men of the people. right? They are, they are of the people. But also, to really point out that they're ordinary men. right? There's nothing special about them. They're smack dab in the middle of this genealogy with everybody else. It's not like, oh, well, the, the firstborn son of Levi had, the, uh, had this kid and this kid, and they get to, to Moses. He's the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn. No, he's not. He's just a, an average Levite. Aaron and Moses are not special. They're ordinary guys who are just in the middle of this genealogy. Yes, they're Levites, that's significant, but they're just average Levites. They're average, they're, they're sons uh, of the, the third clan, right? The third-born clan who had been, who had screwed up and lost his birthright. There's nothing special about them. That's not, this is not pointing out how, how noble or noteworthy they are. It's pointing out how ordinary they are. And that's the point that, that I want to, to focus on today is that God is going to use these ordinary guys to do something extraordinary. Right? God chooses to use ordinary men to do extraordinary things. We're also going to see here that Aaron and Moses are going to transform the destiny of the Levites. Right? It had been prophesied by jacob as he's as he's dying and he's he's going to prophesy over his 12 sons right he's he's got 12 12 sons he's going to prophesy over them tell them what their destiny might be here's what he says about levi uh levi simeon and levi they get lumped together because they you know the brothers who murdered together stick together kind of thing so, so simeon and levi are brothers Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. All right, so he essentially says their destiny is to disappear among the other, the other tribes. That their that their their lineage would just dissolve among the other the other tribes, and that actually happens with Simeon. Simeon's tribe just disappears. It's kind of they get some land in the middle of Judah, and then they just disappear. Pretty soon, you don't know about their clan at all. The Levites are also going to be scattered among Israel, but in a very different way. And we'll we'll I'll, I'll save that. If you don't know what I mean by that, you'll see in future weeks but it's set in motion here by moses and aaron by them answering god's call by stepping up to the plate in spite of the fact that they're not particularly special they're just average ordinary guys he's going to use ordinary men to do extraordinary things all right let's check out the end of this chapter verses 26 through 30 uncircumcised lips These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Right, so again, this reemphasizes the point of this genealogy at all, where it's like, this Moses and this Aaron. Right, you've heard of Moseses and Aarons, like those are names, there's been many throughout history, but this Moses and this Aaron at this moment, these guys, these are the ones that God spoke to. These ordinary guys are who God commanded to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. What was extraordinary about them was who commanded them, not themselves, right, that God... Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, he is the one who commanded them. He is the one who empowered them. He had revealed himself to them and told them his plan. He's going to use these ordinary guys to do extraordinary things. And Moses' response to this, Moses' response to this is, you know, probably something you've said many times in your life. I am of uncircumcised lips. (laughs) Right? You were probably just saying that the other day. I know that's uh, (laughs) a Common thing that we say here all the time, I'm um, uncircumcised lips. Um, but what it is, it, it's a it's a response of awe, right? And and again, remember Moses has experience with circumcision very recently. It's on his mind, right? Because he hadn't circumcised his son. That's why God almost tried to kill him, and and he so he did it, and then and he's moving on, and he's like, God, we got a lot bigger problem we got a lot bigger problem. I am not worthy. Essentially, what he's saying by this is, I am not worthy. I'm not holy. It's not really a response of, it's not really a rejection of his call, but it's a recognition of his unworthiness. It's a response of humility and awe. That in the light of the universe, in the light of the God of the universe, Moses sees just how unholy he really is. we seeing God for who he is, and seeing his plan for redemption, adoption, and destination, where he sees this plan put before him, sees who God is, his response is like, I am not worthy. And this is a common response. We see this in Isaiah when he is called, right? And he sees God's glory, when he sees God, when God approaches him, his response is the same. He says this in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 5 of Isaiah, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right? It's not a protest. It's not a rejection. It's a It's an overwhelmed response, right? He's not arguing anymore. He doesn't say anything else. He just says, How will they listen to me? Look at who I am. Moses is saying, I'm willing, but I'm not worthy of this. I am not worthy of this call. And the apostle Paul has the same sense. He said he repeats a similar sentiment in First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10, where he says, For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. but by the grace of God I am what I am and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Where that that sense of like I am not enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough, that sense that we have sometimes, that, that our, our culture's answer to that question at large is like, no, 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 you are special. <laughs> right? You are so special. That's, that's our culture's response to that is like, no, no, you're wrong. You are actually good enough. You're actually strong enough. Like, you're actually smart enough. You're actually like the most unique, special person ever. Every single one of you. Does that make sense at all, right? If everyone is special, then no one's special, right? If that's the case, right? But that's, that's just not true. And, and the reason that that doesn't work out is because... You can build yourself up with that all you want, right? You can fill your head with self-help books and encouragement and affirmations and all these things. You can make yourself, oh, yeah, no, I I think it's true. I think it's true. I think I am good enough. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror, and, and you know what's true, right? You know how inadequate you are. You know how you get worn out. You know that no matter how hard you, like, strive to be good enough to make yourself Do it right, do the right thing and be the right person and and do it the right way. You know that doesn't happen. And so it doesn't, that's an empty promise, this idea of, oh no, you're enough. Because the, the truth is you're not enough. But God is enough. He can make you enough. He can give you that ability. Right? That's what Paul says. It's not what I do, it's it's the grace of God working in me. The grace of god working in me that the answer is not inside of you but in him and that he can give you that that ability he can he can use you just an ordinary guy an ordinary woman he can use you to do extraordinary things for his kingdom he can use you in amazing ways to do amazing things that you are not capable of that you are not good enough for he can make you he can give you that That if we turn to him, the more and more that we turn to him, the more we turn our lives over to him, he can transform our lives and give us the ability to do these things. He can use ordinary people like me and you to do extraordinary things. Let's wrap it up with this. How should we then live? Number one, realize, or rejoice, sorry, rejoice that you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, adopted as a son or daughter of the king, and destined to do great things for the kingdom of God and live with him forever. Right? All of those things. That would take the scope of the gospel, not just the fact that you've been saved, but that you've been adopted, you've been called his own, and that he's, been, he's given you a future, he's given you a destiny. That is greater than you can imagine. And then lastly, believe that God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things, including you. Let's pray. I'm sorry. I uh, forgot communion. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> let's have the ushers come, have the elders come forward. We're going to serve communion. <coughs> I even had a, had a connection that I was going to make with the sermon to the communion. Is that is, um, <laughs> is this. Um, that, the community is really symbolic of this idea that God is the one who sustains us. The reason we take it on a regular basis that we, that we take in elements that, that are food, right, is because in the same way that food sustains us, really God sustains us, even in a bigger way than, than food does. And he empowers us. And so we take that symbolically this morning um, as, as remembering that we rely on him, that we need him daily not just in a one-time salvation kind of way, but we daily need him for those things. Mm -hmm. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus for us and that not just that, not just that you rescued us, not just that you redeemed us, but that you adopted us as your own, that you've given us work to do, that you've given us things that we can do for you, that you want to empower us, that you want to fill us and sustain us uh, to do extraordinary things for your kingdom. God, as we take communion now, we want to remember your sacrifice for us and recognize the way that you sustain us, the way that you empower us. We pray that you would be glorified this morning and be glorified by us, by our lives in this coming year. Amen.